0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church.
1: This is Kyle Worley and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning. Hey, what's up? Oh go. my gosh, this is not a good sign energy it's, wise, but <laughs> we're going to get to go. there well good i'm just glad I, i'm honestly sometimes a little concerned when you come in hot jt because i then i just know you're angling for a fight uh but <laughs> yeah. no i just no. miss you, you
2: guys i miss doing this doing this more regularly yeah,
0: yeah that's true
2: i agree uh but i, uh, I do pent, th- up, pent up knowing faith energy <laughs> i don't know how to get i need to, need to
1: let it happen <laughs> do you ever just find yourself arguing with macy about angelic appearances in the old testament <laughs> I don't, I, 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 would Steve, be, 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 I believe Macy, survival. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> would believe, I, w- I want to see Macy, and I've seen it before, Macy just go, nah, like mm-hmm.
0: just, I do not have time for this nonsense. Mm-hmm. I've I learned, I mirror. learned from that. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do that too, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she's an example to us all. Yeah. Um, well, this is a very interesting part of the story and we want to give a big A caveat at the top end of this episode. We told you at the beginning some parts of a Genesis 12 through 50 story we were going to have to rush through because we only have so many episodes in a season and there's a lot going on in this story. This is one of those episodes where it is going to feel quick. So Jen, Jen suggested, if you are not familiar with the chapters that we are looking at today, which are roughly, oh, Genesis 27 through Genesis 32 Yes, you heard me correct. Genesis 27 through Genesis 32. Then maybe it would be a good idea to pause this, read those chapters, because we're going to be doing a flyover. And we just want to be honest about it at the top end. That way you're not thinking, oh, well, they didn't even talk about this. There's going to be a lot of that in this episode. I promise you. Is that fair? I mean, TBH,
0: there was a lot of that in the last episode. (laughs) It's true. It's true. You know Um, how so much of not being disappointed is having the right expectations, so we're just trying to help you guys.
1: That's that's a word of wisdom. Um, But today, we're jumping in to talk about Isaiah's blessing of Jacob. That's where we're going to start. We've been following the story of Jacob and Esau for what feels like forever now. (laughs) Um, But uh, today... I'm sorry, but uh, but it just does. And Isaac blesses Jacob. That's how we begin this section. And we've heard that Jacob and Esau were kind of born at odds with each other from the very beginning. Um, they are the children of Isaac, who was the promised child of Abraham. Uh, and uh, And so Isaac... Uh, Isaac has had this uh, these children, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob and Esau have been combative from the very beginning. With Jacob either clinging to, stealing, or deceiving Esau at every turn, and Esau really treating his birthright and his inheritance as an object of no meaning, no consequence. So Esau has kind of a flippant disregard uh, for his father and his father's blessing and what it means to be a part of this chosen line. And Jacob has maybe a unhealthy, what would you say, a a deceptive approach to taking it. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. You've 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 got despising of the birthright with Esau and deception for the birthright from Jacob.
0: It's Jacob is self-determining in all of his moves, right? And, and Esau is oblivious. He's just kind of oblivious. And But you've got both of these kids who are living under a prophecy that was given to their parents when they were still mm-hmm. in utero. And so that's what's always fascinating to me in this story is that um, Isaac takes matters into his own hands. He's trying to give a blessing to... Esau that it seems highly unlikely he didn't already know God intended for Jacob. Like that would be to assume that Rebecca didn't tell him what she was told when the children were in utero. And that seems unlikely to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we, we ended the last section with Esau going to take a daughter of a, 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 so a Hittite woman mm-hmm. uh, for his wife. And it says, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. So Esau is kind of doing his own thing. And Jacob is still at the house, kind of the favored son of Rebekah. And so in chapter 27, we hear that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now go find me something to eat so that I, my soul may bless you before I die. Keep in mind, I'm summarizing here, okay? Just know, I'm paraphrasing, I'm summarizing, that's not what it says. It, that's a paraphrase. But that, that becomes very significant because the deception that Jacob is going to con Isaac with is highly contingent on Isaac not being able to see Jacob, which mm-hmm. we're about to find out. So that kind of editorial note, he was old, his eyes were dim, he could not see, but he calls Esau, his favorite son and says, go find me something to eat. Why? So that I may bless you. Let's pause here because this idea of blessing is pretty significant, but it can feel very foreign to our age and our culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is, uh, but this is a, this is an incredibly crucial moment for Esau that Isaac is essentially going to lay hand on him, and bless him is to indicate like you're going with the favor of God. It is, Mm -hmm. we know it's significant because Rebecca knows in her Mm -hmm. mind, like (laughs) Jacob has to get this blessing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that should be a sign to you that like all the work that Rebecca and Jacob are going to do is an indication that this blessing is not perfunctory. This is not a prayer to open a meal. This is like a transmission of God's covenantal blessing onto a child. Is this right. right?
0: Well, that's the other thing is this yeah. isn't just any father blessing any son, you know? And so, mm-hmm. uh, whatever right. the significance is of the blessing within that culture, there's an added significance because this is the line. This is the chosen line. Right. And so it's a, it's a big deal.
1: Yes, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And so Rebecca listens in on this conversation. That's like she says, Sarah.
0: I mean, think about the parallel here. Mm-hmm. Sneaky. Yep. And
1: and finds a way um, to move forward. And that way is for Jacob. And we're not going to get into all the details here, even though it is a fascinating account. <laughs> but uh, essentially, Rebecca coaches Jacob and how to effectively deceive Isaac. And that's going to include putting animal hair on his arms, cooking him a meal, all of these things um, to pretend that Jacob is Esau. Mm-hmm. And Jacob does this he deceives isaac and we hear that uh isaac is a little bit confused he's he's he he kind of feels skeptical but once he feels him out and once he tastes the food he's convinced this is esau so mm-hmm. isaac thinks he's blessing esau Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've got to be honest with you guys. I
2: always struggle with this story because I want to read stories as, as you know, they're being a good guy and a bad guy. They're being a, a, a villain and they're being a hero. And if I'm honest with you, there, this just feels like such a tragedy on a number mm-hmm. of fronts. You have mm-hmm. Isaac... I mean, the best read is that he is trying to thwart, not trying to thwart, but like he's thwarting God's plan in terms of Mm -hmm. what was prophesied in chapter 25. You have Rebecca deceiving her husband and her son. You have Mm -hmm. Isaac deceiving his brother and his father. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just like this really strange, like you talk about, you know, lots of people currently are talking about family of origin stories as like, this is one of those family of origin stories. that's just a mess. Like trust is gone. Credibility is gone. I can't believe anything you say. And so I don't know, Jen, you've been in this passage more. Is, there a, is, is this just a, a messy story or is there a hero? Is there a villain? Or are we just kind of left with this is kind of gross?
0: This is one of those instances. And really the the, the messy nastiness started with Abraham and Sarah and with them taking right. matters into their own hands with Hagar. So we've already seen this cooking and we'll see it continue to, to grow in nastiness as, as we get into Jacob's, you know, his family after he he marries and begins having children. And so it's an example of where, and it's the weirdest thing, because like you hear your whole life, if you grow up in the church, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, they're the patriarchs. And you're like, they must've been awesome. And then you get into the stories and you're like, this is a soap opera, like a, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? And I do think it is to increase our longing for the true and better to come, you know, and to, and to increase the miraculous nature of the incarnation. Like the fact that this could all terminate upon the arrival of Christ feels so incredibly unlikely. And so it builds in us this idea that, uh, but for God, this does not this doesn't happen.
1: And so Isaac blesses Jacob. Isaac blesses Jacob. And this is the blessing. See the smell of my son. This is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and have the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. That like This is basically a paraphrase of the blessing and really the promises that God gave to Abraham, Mm -hmm. promises that God said he would continue on generationally. The last one, curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you, is like right out of that. So Mm -hmm. this this is again showing you this blessing is really a carrying over of like, may the promises that God gave to my father Abraham May they be true and fulfilled with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty significant thing um, because this is going to carry and continue to ripple throughout the rest of the story. And it says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac's father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And again, to summarize what is a long interaction here, um, Esau is basically begging Is there Mm -hmm. no blessing left for me? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, It says at the end that uh, he goes, Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father. Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. I mean, Esau Mm -hmm. is, this is a rock bottom moment for Esau. This is his point of crisis. This is the wall, so to speak, for Esau. He has ended up here and he is broken because he realizes he has been left out really out in the cold. Right. Uh, and some of that is his own doing, but a lot of it is the deception of Jacob and Rebecca.
0: Well, and it's fascinating because, first of all, we notice that he says, that that Isaac says, I've made him lord over you and all of his brothers. He says, what then can I do for you, my son? Like, there's nothing left, which shows us that Isaac's intent was to give everything to yep. Esau. Um, and now he's given everything to Jacob instead. But Esau even says, he took away, and he says back in verse 36, he t- Jacob, he took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. That's actually not true. He didn't take away his birthright. Esau regarded right. his birthright lightly. So you can see that no one in this story is, is an earnest uh, participant, they're all angling for exactly. for their yep. position. And yet the mm-hmm. Lord's goal, the Lord's goal, the Lord's plan is accomplished through them either because of them or in spite of them. And I think that's a big takeaway that we have from this. It's like the Lord's purposes will prevail. You can either yeah, um, be an obstacle to them or you're, that even by your devious means, the Lord will, 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 will take his plan forward. It doesn't mean your devious means are justified. Absolutely. You know,
1: and, you know, and it's fascinating because as I was reading this story, you know, at the end of the at the end of the book of Genesis, at the end of the Joseph narrative, we hear this what men have meant for evil, God has mm-hmm. purpose for good. And I, I forget who I heard said this, but it's not it's not unique to me. Somebody said that's not just like a tagline for the story of Joseph. No. It's basically a tagline for the entire narrative of Genesis. Yeah. That it's like that's the bumper sticker. That when we look back on this like hall of faith through the patriarchs, it's not you know, blessed be the name of the Lord from their lips all the time. It's basically wrongdoing, mistake, failure, and yet God through it all purposes it for good. And that's what he does here as well. Mm -hmm. And And there is something left for Esau. It says in verse 39, Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Mm-hmm. This is not a, this sounds very different than what he just gave to Jacob, right? Mm-hmm. This is, it's basically the antithesis of the, the blessing that he gave to Jacob. You know, you're going to, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, mm-hmm. Jacob, but for you, Esau, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, away from the dew of heaven on high. So this is basically exile for Esau.
0: Well, and the, the original audience has already heard Esau called Edom. And so they already know, oh, this is an enemy of Israel. And so they're seeing the origins of this enemy of Israel. And interestingly, when we did the Genesis study, one of the things I learned that I thought was really fascinating is this statement, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck about Jacob's descendants versus Esau's descendants, that it's actually fulfilled in Matthew two sixteen through 18 because Herod the Great is Esau's descendant. And so when he um, kills the male children, um, it's seen to be a fulfillment of this prophecy that's spoken back here in Genesis.
1: Wait, 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 wait. I've never heard that before. Wait, for real? Cool. I think that's kind of cool. That's incredible. I have never, ever, ever even heard anything like that.
0: Yeah, I didn't make that up, guys.
1: No, I believe you. I'm just saying I'm this is you. That. This is not this is not me skeptical over what you've said. This is me realizing the yeah. inadequacy of my understanding of biblical history. <laughs> but uh, well from very quickly, you know, we don't have to go all the way to Matthew 2 to see the rage of Esau violently mm-hmm. because right. it immediately That's starts that right. starts to happen and Rebecca senses it. She's she she understands Uh, okay, this is getting bad. And at the end of this, with Esau's violent rage directed at at his brother Jacob, it says in verse 46, Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be? Chapter 28, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. This is different than what his brother Esau had done. Mm -hmm. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And then we get again, a, a re-articulation. You hear this over and over again. It's almost like the chorus mm-hmm. in the Genesis narrative. God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you, to your offspring with you, so that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And Jacob is sent away. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is to fulfill two things: one, Rebecca's hope that Jacob would not marry one of the Canaanite women, and two, to salvage him from this boiling, violent rage that Esau mm-hmm. has. So mm-hmm. Isaac basically sends Jacob away to Laban, as he went uh, as the servant of Abraham had been sent away for on behalf of Isaac, and now you have Jacob headed to Laban. Uh, and Esau, it says that Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away. Uh, and uh, that Jacob had obeyed his father. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac's father, what does he do? Esau went to Ishmael and took as his, his wife. He's now, now he's the bad boy, right? Yep. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. He's he's like, oh, he doesn't want us to marry Canaanites, huh? Well, then I'll marry someone in the family line, but he marries into Ishmael's line, which is not the right, same yeah. thing, guys. Yeah, so he's 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 still like eager to earn the approval of his dad, but has no idea how to do it. So it's a super yeah. clunky thing he does. And it does start to sound like, oh, this is what happened when Abraham sent someone to get a bride for Isaac. But we've already had some telltale indicators that it's not going to be that story at all. Because mm-hmm. rather than arise, go, we heard back in verse 43, arise, flee to Laban. So he's not like, she's she's invented a reason to get him out of there. Yeah. And she, she yeah. plays on that earlier story. Um, but it's not at all the same journey that was made to to retrieve Rebecca. It's a very different one. And as we'll see, um, a, a, a particular version of the family is waiting for Jacob when he gets there.
1: Yeah. And before he gets there, he's going to have a dream. Mm-hmm. And
0: this dream is, is, it's odd how like,
1: pervasive this dream has ended up in the pop cultural imagination like Jacob's Ladder has become like a, mm-hmm. it's, a it's a euphemism it's one of those stories that I always feel is like wow that's kind of strange that people hung their hats on that story um and uh Jen this would be a great time if you're going to sing one of those I'm not going no, <laughs> to <heaven. I laughs> no, was, not gonna I, do it I was not going to do it I went into this episode just with fingers crossed yeah, that you, you would sing it. No way. Um, So Jacob, it says he left Beersheba. He went toward Haran. So he's en route now to Laban's house. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Um, Okay, now this is fascinating because so far, Jacob has only heard this promise Mm -hmm. from people that are not the Lord. Mm-hmm. He has not had this moment yet, a moment like his fa- like his grandfather Abraham had and yet here is a moment where the Lord is meeting with Jacob in a very pronounced way and he is explicitly articulating and guaranteeing the promises of Abraham uh, which connect to the promises of Genesis 1 to Jacob and to mm-hmm. Jacob's offspring. So this is we get these moments where it feels like there's this explicit handing off and this is one of those moments where mm-hmm. it's like, here it is. God, if you had, if the if the audience had any question around whether Jacob was the true recipient of the blessing, now it becomes indisputable. And I think that's probably significant for Israel, right? Because I could imagine that, like you've said, Jen if if the, if the original audience of Genesis is post-Exodus Israel, they're about to go into the land with all the Canaanites. Uh, Esau's descendants are going to be in that land. Mm-hmm. They're going to be at odds with Esau's descendants. It could maybe, you know, some among Israel might wonder, wait, hold on. Are we actually a part of the blessed line? Because look at everything that Jacob did. Look at all these (laughs) wrong things that he did. He broke God's law. And yet here's a story where you get essentially that explicit handoff so that the audience is very clear. No, Jacob, for all of his faults and failures, is the true recipient of this blessing that had been promised to Father Abraham.
0: Well, and we're going to find out, you know, in, in upcoming chapters, assuming we ever get there, that uh, Jacob <laughs> is going to be, he's going to be renamed. He's, well, actually, we, we're supposed to get to it, I think, in this episode. So we'll see how it goes. But he's going to receive a new name, and that name is Israel, right? Right. And so, um, and then his name becomes the name of the nation. Yep. And I think that when we see him in this scene here, he very much embodies what will be the common report on Israel, the people of God, When he, especially when he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Like if, <laughs> if you can think of a more Israelite utterance, I challenge you because there he is and he holds in his hands the blessings of God. He has all of the blessings of God, but he does not have relationship with God. He does not have any true experience of God. Um, He's he's unaware, you know, that God has been interacting with him. And we're going to see that even though he makes this declaration here, he still doesn't really get it. You know, it's like, oh, you're here. Good to know. And then he just kind of goes on about, but, but simultaneously to know how important it would be for Israel on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan to know this is a place where God is, like he's there. Um, so yeah, then Jacob says a really jerky thing toward the end here when he makes a vow, he gets to verse 20 and he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. <laughs> a lot of
1: caveats what? there, a lot of caveats for Jacob. <laughs> I agree.
2: Obviously, this is a jerky thing to say, but I think a lot of people would resonate with that. Like that's uh, yeah. how we try to enter into. No, I'm not with like God. that. He's a jerk. No, right, right. But uh-huh. he's, he's bartering. He's bartering. He's <laughs> yeah, saying, he totally I'm is. only going to be in relationship with you if you do what I say, mm-hmm. which is, is important to realize that God even enters relationship to people like that, not necessarily on our terms, but through his grace and mercy, he will love and care for us on his terms, even though sometimes we think it's on our terms. Yeah,
0: And if, if you were looking for a more uh, salient illustration for modern day Christianity, I doubt you could find it. This is transactional right. faith at its finest. That's if right. I do That's this, then God, you know, if God does this, then I will do this. Or if I do this for God, then God must do this for me. So it's not new, it's old.
2: Jen, what kind of connections have you made when you teach this to Jesus? Uh, in John 1, he talks, he's having a conversation with, gosh, is it Nathaniel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to John 1 real quick. He says Jesus. So he's having this conversation with Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathaniel replied, "You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel." Jesus responds to him, "Do you believe? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than this." Then he said, "Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open, the son of angels of uh, open the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." So Jesus is using this as a reference point for essentially what he who he is and what he's going mm-hmm. to do in the Gospels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's at the at the time that we hear this in uh, Genesis, all we know is that Old Testament understanding would have been that messengers mediate uh, the words of God to man and the words of man to God. Uh, but then we learn when Jesus gives his interpretation of this, that the means of that mediation is Christ himself, that he is the stairway between man and God. Um and that, uh, which is interesting, I think we actually talked about this on another episode, but about how that common illustration that's used in, a, in in evangelistic presentations of you're on one side of a chasm and God is on the other side of a chasm. And then you drop the cross down in there so that we can walk across to, to God uh, is actually not a great illustration. Uh, it's it's a fine illustration. It's been useful to many, but that a more accurate way to to draw that picture would be to put us in a pit. And God Mm -hmm. above us, and that Christ is the ladder that spans uh, that that vertical drop that we could never uh, we could never scale on our own.
2: Hosea, I know we need to go, but Hosea picks up on this story. Also, I won't read it, but in Hosea chapter twelve, God's people are in exile and they're Mm -hmm. they're outside of God's presence, they're outside of the land. And I think one of the reasons Hosea picks up this story, he's reminding that a large part of the story of Israel is uh, is God's people being outside the land being disobedient? God have essentially the language Hosea uses that he could use here against Jacob is God has a case against you to leave you in exile, but mm-hmm. God is going to bring you back. Our mm-hmm. in other words, I think what Hosea is saying is our family, specifically Jacob has been here before. He's been in exile outside the land, but God is going to bring us back into this presence,
0: yeah,
1: it's good. Yeah. So we end up with Jacob arriving. Into the land, uh, and he finds a woman at a well. This is a common motif. It seems mm-hmm. like that's the meeting ground for a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. And it says that Jacob begins to interact with some folks that are there at the well. Uh, and he, he, it says he said to them, hey... Uh, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel's daughter is coming with the sheep. Okay, and so now we have the meeting of Jacob and Rachel. And uh, this is kind of just like a love story, right? It's kind of love at first sight <laughs> with Jacob and Rachel. <laughs> I mean, isn't it not? I mean, I think sometimes we have a... This, no, is Kyle, this it's It's not. It feels like it. I mean, it kind of feels, uh, it says while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. That's a little forward, don't you think? I
0: challenge you to write a weirder romantic story.
1: (laughs) I and I do can't. think I
0: do it. we have oh. to ask, no, we got to ask some really important questions of this because first of all, the fact that he sees her at a well and he finds out that she's who she is, he's replaying the story of his parents in his head. And he's mm-hmm. thinking, oh my gosh, it's a sign from the Lord. This is her. Uh, and, and not only that, but she's smoking hot, just like his mom and his grandma <laughs> and uh And notice that it says in verse 10, now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, I love all the ways she's like, you know, described. What is the next phrase? And the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Oh yeah. She's like, that lady's loaded with sheep and I'm into it. Yeah. So, but then you see his response, like he... Kisses her and weeps. If I'm her, I'm like, Mm-mm. you didn't pass some safety training. I needed you to before I got on go on a date with you. This is like definitely one of those times where you're like, go for coffee first, honey. Don't, don't. Uh, but he is falling apart because he's yes. he's placing an importance on this based on. Yeah. But we've but we already have established in the way the narrative is written that this is not a repetition of that earlier story. He yep. shows up. He doesn't have ten camels and loads of jewelry. He shows up penniless. Right. And fleeing, and so the whole thing is like a sort of a twisted version of what we saw play out, that which was actually a very uh, delightful wedding narrative for Isaac and Rebecca.
1: So, just for our single brothers out there, this is not a great yeah, template no. for uh, dating. Um, no. Just the first date uh, needs to be a little bit different than this. Uh, and I like, and I, and I, I like that he explains his relationship to her after he's already kissed her and wept aloud. Yeah. Uh, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And <laughs> and then it says she ran and told her father. I bet she did. That's what I would t- That's what I tell my daughter to do. Hey, sweetheart, if any man ever comes up to you weeping and kisses you, you run
0: and you come find me as fast <laughs> as you possibly can. But she's caught between a rock and a hard place because unlike <laughs> Kyle, who's the sweetest daddy ever, her dad is a total jerk <laughs> Totally. Yeah,
1: and a rock in a hard place is a great, great picture for this as she's standing next to a giant rock from a well <laughs> and uh, her who, her duplicitous father. Yeah. But as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he runs out to meet him uh, and it says he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things and Laban said, surely you are my bone and my flesh and he stayed with him a month. Okay, now Laban begins to enter into some negotiation here and we know from previous experiences experience Laban is a negotiator and that's what's immediately happening here Uh, and it says that uh, because you're my kinsman you shouldn't serve me for anything Uh, now Laban had two daughters now we get introduced to the other daughter the name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel we get some descriptors here these are the Bible's descriptors. I'm not paraphrasing at this point. I just want to be clear. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And it says Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel, uh, And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Okay. Now Honor. I'm going to summarize. The, yeah. No, really? It, yeah. The, do you not? You don't have any trust in Jacob's intentions here. None at all. Why should we? Well, that's a good point.
0: That's a good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is what I'm saying. This really is
0: the classic. This is the classic example of a story that is so frequently lifted out of its context and the characters shaped to meet our romantic agendas. And so, first of all, he's asked to marry the younger daughter, right? And so you should already be like... Oh, this is an interesting little turn of events. He's the younger son, she's the younger daughter. But
1: but hold on. Why why? Because that's we need to get that clear because that's about to be a huge narrative point. So these physical descriptions of these two daughters are unique. What like why are we even given something like this? I mean, obviously we know that Jacob is moving towards Rachel, but the narrator gives us essentially a description saying that Rachel is more beautiful than Leah, right?
0: Yeah, by a long shot. Apparently, Mm -hmm. Um, that she has weak eyes. We don't really know what it means. Uh, Like it just means there was something, but it's set in contrast to the beauty of Rachel of Rebecca. uh, uh, Yeah, Rachel. Sorry, these names get all scrambled in your head after a while. Oh yeah. It's set in contrast to the beauty of Rachel, which tells us that whatever it is, it's something that makes her physically unattractive, um, and therefore not marriageable in the way that Rachel is. Uh, And Laban is 100% aware of that. Mm -hmm. So Leah, this means we're we're to understand Leah is a burden to her family if she can't be married off. Um, And because remember, the only ways that women can achieve any kind of security in this culture are to be able to get married and to be able to produce children. And those two themes are going to play so heavily into what happens next. And they're being set up for us here.
1: Yep. So Jacob says, uh, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. So
0: romantic.
1: Oh, yeah. It gets gets clearer and clearer that maybe he's not a pure (laughs) heart here. Um, But uh, uh, so I'm not going to read this whole thing, but Mm -hmm. this is what happens. Uh, Laban's like, sure. He throws a big wedding feast for Jacob. uh, And then at night when the lights are off, Uh, who does Jacob end up consummating this union with? It is not Rachel. It is Leah. And he wakes up the next morning to find out that it's Leah, not Rachel. He is not happy, which I'm sure Leah is just suffering injury upon injury Mm -hmm. here in terms Mm -hmm. of just at a morale level. Mm -hmm. Um, She's certainly not being treated well at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Jacob comes to Laban and says, what have you done? You've deceived me. And I gosh, who, who is Jacob to cast a stone at right. this, right? right? Literally the master of deception in his own household has now been deceived. It's a little bit full circle.
2: Especially um, with somebody who who can't see. I mean, it's his father who has yeah. an eye problem and now the same thing here. Yes, yep. the,
0: the the compromised senses are used against him in the same way that he, com- he used his father's compromised senses against him. And Laban says,
1: hey, it's not done this way in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Like, the request you made was essentially, I can't grant that request because it's not how we do things around here, which is straight up nonsense.
0: But also stinging. I mean, such a stinging word for Jacob to hear, the one who has completely taken everything from the older brother.
1: Yep, yep. And he says, complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So Laban's intentions here are not just this is how we do things around here. This is out of respect for Leah. It's no, I'm going to get another seven years out of you here. That's what Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to marry both of my daughters off. So Mm -hmm. burden alleviated. And additionally, (laughs) I'm going 14 years of labor and 14 yeah. years of labor. So Jacob did this and gave uh, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So okay. Jacob, yes. Re- Really
0: important point here, really important Bible reading tool that we all need uh, is to be able to ask a question that we don't always give ourselves permission to ask. And that is, if this story had played out according to godly principles, how would it have played out? So, like, think back to the story of um, Isaac being tricked by jacob over and over again if that story had played out according to a positive storyline um isaac and rebecca would have said the lord has said that jacob is the one who receives the birthright and blessing and they would have raised their children accordingly but that's not what happened um so god still works through them to accomplish his purposes so at this point in the story where jacob takes two wives we should be asking what should have happened? Like right. according to, and, and, and we know from Genesis that God designs marriage to be between a man and a woman. And we've already seen anytime someone has more than one wife, it's not awesome. Uh, and so when Jacob marries both of these women, we're not supposed to go, oh, that's great. And this is how we got the 12 sons of Israel. Uh, yes. We're supposed to ask a question, I think. And that question is what should have happened yeah. when Jacob yeah. wakes up and sees that he's married to Leah? And I would say the answer is he should have taken his wife and gone home. Yeah. But that's not what happens. And then we see all of this stuff that ensues afterward. Uh, wife, and yet,
2: Leah, or his wife, Rachel?
0: His wife, Leah. Yeah. And then you'll see that borne out in the way that the line continues forward.
1: Absolutely. And that's what we get... This is going to play out over the next few chapters, but immediately you hear what is going to be the headline of this drama in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he Mm -hmm. opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay, Mm -hmm. so... There you go, and this isn't just going to play out for the rest of Jacob's story. This is going to continue into the rest of the narrative of Genesis with Joseph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is that's right. It is going to be a big, big deal for the rest of the the uh, of the uh, of this book. And so, Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, "Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me." She conceived again and bore a son, and said, "Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, He has given me this son." Also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and she's, she's bearing sons, which I, which is, it's not just that she's bearing children, which would have been a blessing. She's bearing sons. Mm -hmm. This is a, in Jacob's mind, in the Hebrew imagination, this is a double blessing. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's bearing children and they're boys. Mm-hmm. Because uh, And so she bore another son. Now the time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. And then you get the turn. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so, tamp it down, Rachel. <laughs> First of all, this is probably the first time she's ever envied her sister in her whole life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's You good know, point.
0: based on the relationship they would have had growing up, she has always been the envied sister. And she can't deal with it. And so, she, she presses the drama button and says, give me children or I shall die. And, of course, as we follow the story along, we find out that it's actually in childbirth that she dies. So, um, the irony already being set up for us here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and,
1: but Rachel's motives are so super pure. She follows through, she waits on the Lord. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. Is that how it goes? No, Rachel does what Sarah did yep. with Abraham and mm-hmm. she uses a servant, uh, 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 Bilhah, uh, to, to provide children. Uh, and so children are then provided through Rachel's servant, not to be outdone. It says in verse nine, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. So now we have servants of Rachel and Leah, respectively, being provided to Jacob in order to have children. So now Rachel and Leah are like in a race to see how many children can come by way of my control of this situation. Mm -hmm. So they're jockeying, how many kids can we see? It's like a baby war. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And poor old Jacob, what's his role in the whole thing? Hmm. Yeah. Which tent do I go to tonight? It's the worst. This story is the worst.
1: It's yeah, it, it gets worse and worse, it's true. Uh it does not uh, the well situation is a misleading uh notebook style romantic moment and it just it goes downhill from there. Um yeah. uh and so he he goes on. To talk about uh, uh, the story goes on to just continue to indicate in verse nineteen, Leah conceived again. She bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, "God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons." So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Dinah is going to come back in a big mm-hmm. way later Mm -hmm. on in this story. And then it says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. This is a big moment because now we get introduced to who is going to get the most airtime Mm -hmm. for the story of Genesis in a surprising turn. It's not going to be Abraham. It's going to be this kid. And Mm -hmm. his name (laughs) is Joseph. Uh, So uh, we find out after this that Jacob begins to prosper. Significantly prosper, mm-hmm. and Laban is not comfortable with this at all because Jacob Jacob is very close to Laban, and for jo, uh, for uh, Jacob to prosper in this way, it not only is it's not only envies Laban, it's also in uh, Laban uh, or <laughs> envies Laban. It's not only <laughs> Laban's envy; it's Laban's fear. Yeah. Because as Jacob's household grows, he is going to displace Laban's power in this region.
0: Mm-hmm. And that is not good for Laban. And we've seen this, like we've already seen these ideas presented earlier with Abraham and Lot having, you know, all of their herds and stuff. And it means they have to dwell apart from one another. And those are the same kinds of tensions that you're seeing here, except that Laban fancies himself to be the the person with the upper hand in all situations. And so, yeah, he he does not, he wants to use Jacob for what he can use him for, but he doesn't want Jacob to prosper at his expense. Yes. Even so- though he's married to his daughters. He is a jerk and I do not like him.
1: Yeah. So Laban, much like Esau, uh, begins to kind of boil with some violent rage towards Jacob and his prosperity. And so it says in chapter 31, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our fathers. And from what was our fathers, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob and his household, Rachel, Leah, these kids, these servants, probably his great wealth, his flock of sheep, he, they, they, they're they're taking off, they're leaving, um, and they're headed back uh to Isaac, or Isaac's land, uh, and uh, it looks like Laban is not thrilled about this at all. Because right. he pers- he pursues them, um, and in an interesting turn of events, Laban pursues them, uh, and it looks like maybe one of his own daughters has taken something that Laban really wants back. What, what's going on here? Because this is such a crazy, and we get something very similar to this in the Joseph narrative, right? where Joseph then kind of tricks his brothers with the stolen piece of things. So there's just so many symmetries in this story uh, that we're seeing, but what's going on here. They're leaving. God told them to leave, but Rachel takes a little piece of Laban with her and Laban is not happy about
0: this. Yeah. She steals the household gods. And then when he asks to search her saddlebags, she says that she is during her time of uncleanness. And so he won't ask her to get down from her mount. And so, uh, these, these household gods are going to turn up later in the story. Um, and you'll be like, oh, I, I know where those came from, but it's not clear whether she is nostalgic in taking them or whether she just takes them to get at him. But I, I think it could be both, you know, I mean, it's like, he's been, he has kept them there, um, for a very long time. And, um, and, for 20 years, basically, Laban has been cheating Jacob. Um, and the whole family is ready to get out of there. And so, yeah, she's got him in her saddlebags.
1: She does. And she goes uh, and Laban goes to pursue Jacob. He overtakes Jacob and he begins to search. He can't find them. And then Jacob becomes angry and they enter into what is a really fascinating dialogue between the two of them. It says that Jacob berated Laban. and he said to him, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me for? You have felt through all my goods. What you what have you found? of all your household gods. Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. And then he kind of retells the history. He's basically like, listen, I've been with you for decades. I did everything that you wanted me to do and more. You deceived me. You stole from me. I worked tirelessly under the hot sun. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flicks, all flocks, all that you see is mine, but what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So like, this is a kind of a climactic moment for Jacob and Laban. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's really the last big Laban, if I'm remembering the story correctly, this is kind of the last big moment for Laban in this story, Mm -hmm. where the tie is really severed at this point. I say they're going to cut a covenant. So maybe the tie is bound at this point, but their interactions with each other, they're going their own separate ways and they're kind of making peace before they go, right?
0: Kind of, it's an uneasy agreement. the The statement made at Mizpah is, "The Lord watch between you and me while we are out of one another's sight." And basically, the cutting of the covenant is, if you cross me, this is what I will do to you. You know, your flesh yep. will be divided. And so, it's not like this super friendly moment where Daddy sends his girls off with their new family. It's it's a it's a you watch it. Watch your back is basically yep. the the feel of it. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because what we're seeing is the fulfillment of that that blessing that was given to Jacob is, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then yeah. we'll see what happens in the story of Esau with that as well.
2: Are, are we meant to see any literary connections here between uh, the story of Laban kind of pursuing and overtaking Jacob and Pharaoh's army pursuing and overtaking Israel as God's people are here here kind of getting their creation story, you've got a very similar story of mm. God's people, again, leaving their enemy, uh, being pursued by their enemy. Again, Not there's not one-to-one correlations in all of these things, but I wonder if Moses, the narrator here, is giving God's people a story of, as we leave, God's enemies are going to pursue us, even if we sometimes take their gods with us, which is also true of Israel
0: in mm. yeah. the
2: wilderness and their pursuit. And of course, the story is different. God destroys the Egyptians. He doesn't destroy Laban. But the, as you just said, Kyle, the tie is somewhat
1: severed, even in an unconventional way. Yeah, I think there could be something there. I never thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, I haven't thought of that either, but that sounds, that fits. I mean, it fits the way that the story it keeps getting layered and layered and layered for us, for sure.
1: Yeah, e- even that Jacob has basically plundered Laban's household, exactly. like Israel plundered Egypt on the way out. I did not even thought about that, but... Hmm. that's fascinating Um, well Jacob does go on his way and in chapter 32 we hear that the angels of God met him and when Jacob saw them he said this is God's camp so he called the name of that place Mahanan Uh, and uh, I'm just sticking with that pronunciation. (laughs) and I (laughs) want to talk (laughs) about it I will I will brook brook, no disagreement Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau so he's kind of heading back into he's heading back into a land that all he know for all he knows is absolutely hostile to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like in his mind, he he might be a dead man walking as mm-hmm. he as he goes back from whence he came. And so he sends messengers ahead of him and he essentially begins to beg Esau for favor before he ever meets him. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like essentially petitioning him, hey, this is what I got. I'm coming, you know, uh, speak to him, tell him I've surgery with Laban. I've got oxen, I've got male servants, I've got female servants. He's trying to tell him like, it sounds like he's trying to say, hey, I could probably pay you off, right? That's what it sounds like to me. Well,
0: he's certainly softening his entrance, right? Yeah, yeah. He's trying to demonstrate, I think, I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming because I want conflict with you because you've got 400 armed men coming toward me at this moment.
1: Yep. And it says that the messengers returned to Jacob, having relayed what Jacob told them and says, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. It's like, uh Oh, like this, <laughs> if you're Jacob, this is the, this is the police car lights in your rear view mirror. This is like, I am in trouble <laughs> now. Um, four hundred men. Then Jacob says it says it was he was greatly afraid and distressed. and he begins to divide things up, thinking, hey, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's mm-hmm. kind of beginning to spread his out. he's he's strat. he's kind of strategizing here to try to figure out like, okay, if Esau comes after us, how, what gives us the best chance of surviving? And he begins to cry out to the Lord um and he says "O oh god of my father abraham and god of my father isaac who said to me return to your country and to your kindred that i may do you good i'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant and the and the audience says amen Um, for with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200, 200. Uh, female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, all of this stuff he begins to set aside for Esau. And we hear towards the end that he says, you shall say uh, when the Lord begins to speak to him. And moreover, he likewise instructed the second, I'm sorry, this is Jacob instructing the servant. He begins to send this stuff ahead of him as like to kind of court Esau's favor. Say for he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob is sending gifts ahead of him to Esau. And before he meets Esau, we're going to see Jacob interact and wrestle with God. Uh, and that's for next episode. But as we land the plane after what has been a long very high level journey over Jacob's story these past few chapters. Is there any kind of concluding thoughts you have before we get into Jacob wrestling with the Lord in the next episode?
0: Yeah, I think if you, I mean, we have the, the wrestling episode that's coming up, but if you were gonna choose one word that signifies the, the story of Abraham and Sarah, it would be laughter. Mm-hmm. And if you were going to choose one word that signifies the handoff from Isaac to Jacob, it would be wrestling. And so you see the twins wrestle in the womb. You see them continue to wrestle with one another all through their growing up years. Then Jacob, not surprisingly, ends up with two women who wrestle. I mean, that's even one of the names of the children. I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed, she says, as she's naming one of the children. Um, And so this wrestling theme this striving within the family and i think that's a significant one for us to note because if you think back to genesis 3:16 this is what we're told would happen it's that rather than the family working to promote the 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 work of the Lord and the purposes of the Lord. Instead, they spend all of their time turned on one another. Um, but the Lord continues His purposes.
2: I think one thing I've been thinking about uh, with this chapter in particular, and it's just honestly, it's kind of a hard pastoral challenge for me. And I, again, I could even be misreading this. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about this. But, but the risk of vulnerability that Jacob takes here in reconciliation, because what he could have done and what I often do in conflict is just kind of try to sneak back in and act like everything's fine, maybe yeah. avoid (laughs) Avoid seeing my brother. Like, just kind of, I'm just going to sneak back in, live in another part of the neighborhood. Maybe he won't even notice me there. And of course, we know that Jacob has mixed motives in a lot of these stories. I'm not not trying to suggest that Jacob's motives were pure here, but he does take a vulnerable position and risk, take a risky position in reconciling with his brother. Something Mm -hmm. similar to what Jesus says in reconciliation is, if you and your brother have something at odds with each other, before you go to the altar to give Mm -hmm. your sacrifice, go and be made right. Mm -hmm. And here we know Jacob is coming back into God's land and to be in God's presence and we do see him pursuing reconciliation with somebody who he knows uh, could do him great harm and so I don't know I just think if there maybe there's people who are listening I know this could be true in my life also reconciliation is a gospel issue if you are at odds with somebody even if you've wronged them it's right to to return and to seek um reconciling with your brother
0: you know what JT I'm wondering if even in the Sermon on the Mount that isn't a direct reference to this story because immediately after his reconciliation with his brother he erects an altar and offers his sacrifice
2: that's right yeah that's what that's what I'm trying to say and I don't, yeah. I don't want to know that it's the one-to-one correlation Well, um, it's an
0: allusion to exactly. it for sure I would exactly. think exactly. yeah yeah so it's good. A,
2: a, as as we who seek to love God and live in God's presence reconciliation is is a is a key part of, of how we worship God
1: Oh, I cannot believe we made it. Three made it. We made it <laughs> together. Um, without any arguments over uh over secondary matters, but I have a <laughs> feeling we're headed towards a wrestling match in more ways than one. And so in our next episode, we'll be exploring when Jacob wrestles with God. You can join the conversation by finding us on social media. We're at Knowing Faith Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're looking for some ways to kind of get behind the scenes on Knowing Faith, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast, And we've got some cool stuff over there for our patrons. And we just want to thank all of you guys for your support and for listening. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.